Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Nick Caldwell, the Chief Product Officer at Looker, and we discuss the great work he is doing with DevColor, ways to communicate complex ideas effectively, and why the most important thing a leader can do is create new leaders. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. There he is. Where are you calling in from? Uh, the San Francisco office. It's a, um, so, you know, we have uh, a lot of offices around the world, but, um, you know, our, our main HQ is in Santa Cruz. And then I work out of uh, San Francisco several days a week. And we share this building with a couple other companies. Uh, and, you know, I guess depending on who's on the Wi-Fi at any given moment, we can run into some trouble. So. Well, that's like, you could just say our company's growing so fast for... <laughs> Right. <laughs> exactly. Man. So, all right. So you, so today you're in San Francisco. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, like what part? Cause I spent a lot of time there. Oh, we're over in the mission district right now. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, 23rd and, uh, and Harrison, if you know where that is, this yeah, is yeah. the, the old, uh, I think this used to be the lift building, uh, is what I'm told. Like before they moved to fancier, fancier digs. It's got good karma then. Right. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. I, uh, you know, we're doing pretty well as a company. So I don't know, I don't know if you saw the news, but we, we recently announced that um, uh, Google is intending to acquire us. Uh, so it's, it's pretty exciting times for Looker. Yeah, we've actually talked to a couple companies that Google has acquired or was in the process of acquiring. We had, we had a recurring topic on the show for a while about uh, people were asking, the audience was asking about what, what's it like to go through an acquisition? Because it's a very invasive process, right? And yeah. Yeah, I mean, so far, like, you know, obviously we're, we haven't closed yet, but so far we're really excited about it. I think the, uh, the upfront work of, of going through all the documentation and talking about how the technology works and so forth, I, I think like in one part, yeah, I mean, it was invasive, but on the other part, like we had a lot of fun just kind of, you know, really, you know, honing what our strategy was and and, and uh, putting together the the content in, in some ways we like found it like kind of rallying for the team uh, and had a lot of fun doing it um, you know waiting is not fun so we hope we hope it closes soon yeah so there's there's a sif science is out there in san francisco and fred is actually the cto over there and he built what is now google payments like back in the day but they went through a, a Google acquisition. And so he's actually like right down the street from you. He's a pretty cool guy. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Send yeah, an intro if you can. Yeah. 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 yeah I've, right. only, I've only been in the Bay Area for two and a half years. So I, I'm still trying to build out my network here and get connected to all the, all the right folks. I was in Seattle for 15 years. So you know, all, all my, uh, my old crew is up there. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's like the stomping yeah. grounds, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, dude, I got you hooked up after the show. I'll send you some stuff I got. Um, Yazer from William Sonoma, CTO there, Ooh. right downtown, right near you. Uh, you got Fred from SIF Science, all great people, all I've been out and like personally hung out with before. So like not just strangers, right? Oh, nice, and man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll send you a couple other contacts, but all, a lot of great people right in your area. Sweet. Love it. Yeah. Boom. And that's it. This is just a matchmaking service. <laughs> <laughs> a really elaborate way to network. <laughs> yes. Okay. So like, what is Looker? 
Oh, okay. Yeah, let's get into the the meat of it. Yeah. So Looker uh, is a, a platform, a data platform. What what we do is we connect all of the data within uh, your uh, business, put it in all in one place, uh, and provide an API on top of it. So the simplest way that you know I like to explain Looker um, to people who aren't familiar with it is that it's an API for your business data, and then on top of that API, we provide all sorts of services. Um, uh, data delivery, uh, business intelligence applications, et cetera. Uh, what we're increasingly seeing is that people use our API to build all sorts of, you know, custom tailored solutions that we couldn't otherwise predict. So um, workflow integrations, there's a, a company, uh, I don't know if I can list their names on the podcast, but we have, we have a company. We can edit stuff out. Or you... Okay, cool. Well, there, there's a company that we work with called Dayton Freight, and then they use Looker's API to automate uh, figuring out which of their truck drivers are going to be available every morning. Um, there's companies uh, that use us to automate the uh, bidding process for their uh, digital marketing spend. So, like the cool thing about Looker is, you know, once you've got all your data connected into the platform, like of course you can use it for business intelligence and analytics, but we're trying to reach much, much further uh, into the operations of, of your business because uh, we think that's you know if, if our mission is to empower people with data we can't stop at dashboards we have to go further uh, and we're leaning into a, a broad trend in, in the data analytics market because we're not the only people who have recognized this but the broad trend is that people are being empowered with data through uh, through, through things like SaaS applications or, or data delivery and looker is a platform for for building those types of you know purpose-built uh, solutions that go beyond empowering the analyst into empowering your entire uh, organization with data that's exciting man I it like is really exciting I mean <laughs> you know I, I've been in the bi space for a long time um, you know and and I think that um, in my previous life, I would have told you that, you know, dashboards are everything. Dashboards are still important, but I, I think, um, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, you know, I, I stepped away from from Microsoft and went to become VP of engineering at uh, at Reddit for for a time, and it just gave me a new perspective. Um, you know, one, I think you you reach people uh, by helping them accomplish tasks that they want to do. I I think I used to have the mind set that you would reach people with data by like training them to be analysts and you know my mindset has shifted there the other thing is like um, modern data stores you know things like uh, google bigquery or snowflake they've become so powerful that they've like fundamentally changed how people do data engineering uh, and looker is really riding the wave of that transformation um, it's it's been just a phenomenal ride i've been at looker for 11 months now so i'm still I think kind of new, uh, but it's it's just been a, a really fun ride of, uh, of of following those trends and being able to really um, direct what, you know how how the the future of the BI market is going to proceed. I haven't thought about this. I've been my background. I've been writing code for 17 years. I'm in my early 30s. But when you know 10 years ago, it, 10 15 years ago, it was actually really hard to get companies to get data like out and like put it into another source. And you just brought up a good point with the rise of these new technologies, companies have gotten really comfortable just pushing data somewhere. And yeah. so that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's 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 still sort of an emergent trend, but if you um, like the way I like to to describe it to 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 folks uh, is think about the number of SaaS applications that you've used just today. Right, like I, I've probably used 15 just today. 
this Zoom call was set up with a SaaS application. I used uh, G Suite. I used OpsGenie this morning. I used Datadog and Sumo to check on an incident that we're having. Um, all of these applications, if you think about them, they're really just pretty user interfaces on top of rows of data. So in the previous generation, you might look at this and say, oh, we're going to build like a business intelligence dashboard. In the modern generation, no, it's like, I'm going to build an application that uses data, shapes it, and put, builds a user experience, uh, a tailored user experience around it, and gives it to specific people within, within your organization to accomplish specific goals. And I think the future of BI has to lean into that. Like, if we want to reach more people, well, just follow the trends that are already happening. Like we're already seeing this massive proliferation of SaaS applications. Uh, I used around 15 of them this morning. Looker as a, as a business, we use about 140 SaaS applications to run our business. The average enterprise uses more than a thousand. So this is a, a trend that, you know, uh, one, it, it is empowering people with data. It is, you know, if you're looking for, um, the answer to like how data is impacting people's lives. I think like things like SaaS application and line of business apps and custom solutions are what's what's driving it. Um, uh, second, uh, it, it, it means that the way that data engineers and analysts think about their jobs like really has to change because now you've got like a thousand different data silos laying around. And if you're gonna use um, you know, the previous generation techniques like ETLing data into one place, trying to model it, connect it with, you know, complex airflow jobs. This doesn't scale in the face of how quickly SaaS applications are growing. So like fundamentally, you need a new approach to wrangle your data. Uh, and then fortunately, um, you know, the, the other big thing that we're seeing is, you know, modern data stores are rising to the occasion. Um, so you can dump just massive amounts of data into something like a BigQuery or a Snowflake. You can query it like all of it at once uh, for like very, very low cost. Increasingly, you're seeing like analytics built directly into these uh, these data stores. And what this means is that like whole classes of what you would do in the previous generation of ETL and data management, whole classes of that work start to become much, much, much simpler if you assume that the databases are going to be more powerful. Now, this hasn't I would say fully happened yet. Like we're definitely talking about trends, but uh, wow, if you compare like uh, BigQuery today uh, to you know maybe like Hadoop clusters three years ago, you can see that like the the trend is there, and these uh, modern databases are getting more powerful, cheaper, easier to use. So I, I think like you know Looker is just leaning into those trends, and it and it um, you know it. it it results in in simpler uh, uh, simpler data ops and the ability to spend more of your time working on applications, or if you still want to use dashboards and, and so forth to reach your end users. The 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 point is that it lets you spend more time actually delivering value to the end user. Oh, I love it, and that's what we're all here to do, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, let's take it back. I want to talk more about like you as a human, right? Because that's what okay. I that's what I get most <laughs> interested in. Sure. Uh, because I, I saw the Looker website and I had a good idea. I was like, okay, I think it's what they do. I've confirmed it. I feel good. I love what you guys are doing. I think it's fantastic to have you on the, on the show. Um, but I'm, I'm always interested in like, who's the human behind that, right? Because you had a career at Microsoft. You were at Reddit for a while, right? Building the city up, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> did you ever run into Chris over there, Chris Slow? Chris Slow? Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really good buddy of mine. Was he on the show too? Yeah, yeah. He was telling me about like the fire team and stuff and some different things that they do inside of Reddit. It was pretty cool. 
Oh yeah, yeah. that was a that was a really fun job. Chris is Chris is one of the best human beings I, I've met in my time in the in the Bay Area. Oh yeah, I, great great human. But we're gonna turn that love back on you right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm curious. Like I read, I did read, I read some, I read a Medium post. Like I did, yeah. I did read, I did, I did look up some background. But I want to I want to kind of hear it from you about like what where did you start with getting involved with technology? Were you like obsessed with the the microwave in the kitchen and you wanted to press all the <laughs> buttons? Like where did it start for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it started really early on. Um, I mean, my, my dad brought home a, uh, he was a, uh, uh, a lawyer uh, and uh, one day he replaced his typewriter with a, a Tandy 1000. I don't know if you remember yeah. these things, but like one of the very first uh, personal computers. And I used to, um, sit on his lap and like kind of try and uh you know type into the command line had ms dos 2.0 and it had 640 kilobytes of ram uh and it also had like a ton of games on it like you imagine like flight simulator one i remember playing that on his lap so at a at a very early age my dad kind of introduced me to uh these machines and then like later on when i was uh, uh 10 he bought me a book called learn c plus plus and 12 easy lessons uh, which was, which was a lie. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I, I got that book and I like just dove into it. I did the first hello world program and yeah, you, you probably done the same thing. You're a coder, right? Like the first time you write that hello world program, you, you either know, you either think you wasted your whole, you know, afternoon or you just fall in love with it. Cause it's like, wow, I made the computer do something. I fell into it immediately. I got into the, um, BBS scene started coding my my own BBS doors if you remember that sort of stuff. Uh, started to do game programming and really just became uh, uh, you know frankly like a computer nerd. Um, I th I think that honestly like it, it led to to so many great things for me. I grew up in um, PG County Maryland, which is uh, I think at the time it was like ninety six percent black neighborhood, and um, you know learning how to code uh, gave me uh, opportunities to, to, to better my life. And uh, I really leaned into it hard. Um, I, uh, I used my skill in coding to get into, uh, if you grew up on the East Coast, they have like science, specialized science and technology uh, high schools. Mm -hmm. So I used my skill there to, to leave my neighborhood and go to uh, one of the, the better high schools uh, in the, uh, in the state. Uh, and then um it's like every time I just learned more about tech, my life got better and better. So I got a, a NASA internship based on my uh, ability to code that led to uh, a, uh, uh, it led to me being accepted in MIT and, and so on uh, and so forth. Uh, but yeah, my, my interest in tech comes from a combination of being exposed to it really, really early uh, by my father in combination with, I am just an extremely driven human being and uh, I'm highly, uh, highly motivated by tech because I love it. And uh, it, uh, it allows me to change so much in the world. It allows me to accomplish, uh, accomplish more than I ever thought I could. Like my first project at Microsoft was, uh, my first big project was the um, Microsoft Spell Checker. And I remember when, I, when it finally shipped, like thinking that like more than a billion people were going to use this spell checker that I had written. It was like one of the best feelings I, I've ever had. Um, so anyway, like I, I, that was a long winded answer to your question, but uh, that's how it all got started. Oh, but it sounds good. And I like listening to you talk. So, it works. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. so I, re I read that article and it was on dev color. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? 
Oh yeah, this is something I'm very passionate about as well. So, um, so when I um, I had a 15 year career at Microsoft. Microsoft uh, obviously headquartered in Seattle, and um, there's many good things about the state, but like one downside to to Seattle is it's not a very uh, diverse uh, state. So, uh, you know, being a, a underrepresented minority in, in tech, particularly someone who moved up into the executive roles, it it look it can be very very isolating. I think at my time at Microsoft, I met. Well, actually, I met literally zero other black tech executives, like literally zero. Um, and then in general, there were not a, a lot of people like me that I could get exposed to. Now, when I moved down to the Bay Area, some people, look, people say tell me that the, the Bay Area is still not as diverse as it should be. But look, relative to Seattle, for me, this was like very eye-opening. The first two weeks uh, I was uh, in San Francisco, uh, someone invited me to an organization called Dev Color. DevColor is, I, it's, it's within the Bay Area, the largest network of black people in technology. The goal is to uh, help each other uh, advance their careers. So I show up to this thing and for the first time in my life, there's 300 other black technologists in a row. Like, and it just, my, I mean, it, it just blew me away. And really for the first time in my career, um, gave me hope that there were people like me and then it also just immediately inspired me to try and uh and give back you know i've always said that leaders make new leaders uh and this has given me a, a channel to to mentor others uh and so much has come from it like i've seen people i've mentored go on to become executives in other companies and so forth uh, but uh, and they also sorry i guess the, they also I, I just got so excited about it and spent so much time with it that they asked me to join the board. So I've been on the on the board of directors for uh, about uh, a year and a half now. Uh, and um, that's what DevColor is. I think it's the best network for uh, people of color in technology uh, to try and support each other's career goals. No, I love it. We're all looking for like community and groups and like-minded people. Even when you get to the, like you, uh, when you said you were very driven, instantly I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna outwork you. <laughs> because <laughs> every morning when I'm running I listen to this Will Smith uh, motivational thing where he's talking about how he's either gonna uh, die on the treadmill or like <laughs> someone else have you ever heard that before I haven't heard that I'm gonna look it up uh, now man. yeah just send it to me after this <laughs> I will yeah he's like no one's gonna outwork me he's got this great Will Smith has this great speech about work ethic and how no one will outwork him because two of us get on the treadmill either uh, like I'm winning or I'm dead <laughs> he's like, I'm I love it stop yeah you know, it's it's interesting that you brought that up. I don't want to get too far off track. No, let's topic, get it. Let's but, get off topic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I think in my time in the Bay Area, I've started to change my mindset on. So like for, for the first 15 years of my career, I think I probably worked no less than 11, 12 hours a day for like every single day of it. And it, it, um, it meant that I had to make a lot of trade-offs, you know, like work-life balance. You can't spend as much time with your, your family and so forth and so on. Um, recently, I, I'm, I actually enjoy seeing, and, and tell me if you've observed this as well, but I definitely see a big trend recently toward um, self-care, uh, mental health, and making sure that people take care of themselves in order to, to get their best work done. I think that's going to be the next big trend in, uh, in management expertise. And I, I, think it's, I think it's really a, a healthy way to, to think about managing your, uh, your tech career. That in the old days, I think it was very much like kind of a sprint, like hustle, hustle, hustle as hard as you can. And I think that is now pivoting toward like, hey, this is a marathon. You got to take care of yourself if you want to get to the end. So I, this is something I'm still learning about as well. Uh, but I, I do think it's a, 
a positive trend. So. Well, no, I agree. And, and let's talk about a little bit because what, what I've learned is, so I was driven and then I took it to the extreme, right? right. And then you, you kind of have to, you back it off because you start getting sick or you like, you push yourself too hard, right? And you realize, okay, you meet that limit, that edge. And at first it's fun because you can push it and push it and push it. But then you realize that there's like a limit to how much you can push it. And then you yeah. start, yeah. So then you step back and you're, you're looking at life and quality. And then you start reading research about sleep and about nutrition. And now, now because we're driven people, what, what's going to happen is we're going to adopt the processes and the situations that allow us to achieve the most regardless of public opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th I thought where you were going to go with that is like, we're going to also, because we're driven, try and optimize the, um, you know, uh, I guess the mental health and taking care of yourself aspect of it as well. It's oh, yeah, that's it, part of it. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's it. If we're going to be driven and we're going to create the most change that we wanted, we're going to achieve that for ourselves and fulfill our potential. Self-care is an absolute requirement. Sleep and nutrition, these types of things are absolute requirements. And I'm in love with the fact that this idea of not sleeping is becoming stupid because it doesn't work. It's like <laughs> it's, science. It's like, we are all science people. It doesn't work. Exactly. You know, I, I, I think, I, I think you're 100% correct. And, and what I'm looking forward to is, trying to take these ideas and and I think they're really percolating like whenever I whenever I'm on Twitter or social media I can definitely tell that the this trend is emerging I haven't seen it translate directly into um, formal management approaches and formal management philosophies. Uh, I, I would love there to be like a modern version of the Agile Manifesto that like took this into account. I don't know what it would look like, but someone should go write it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, that, that's a unique thing. And they're always on a delay though, right? Like they're always, that exactly. part of the world is always on a several year, year delay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about like leadership, right? And we we're talking about driving, we we're talking about leadership. Um, as as a kid, I had a lot of, like I got hit by a car. I was in a wheelchair. I had like all Whoa. these all these setbacks. Where I had to learn how to walk again. And I and looking back, I'm like, oh, that's where I probably get a lot of my drive, having to do these difficult things. And I was reading some of your story, and you had some difficult things that you were you were dealing with, you know, when you were growing up. And do you think that attributed at all to your drive or your discipline? Yeah, for sure. I mean. I'm glad you asked. It, it, you know, I still kind of struggle with exp explaining this to, to people who haven't necessarily come up from a, a less privileged background. But uh, when I was in PG County, Maryland, um, there was a moment in my life where I remembered, I, I kind of hinted at this earlier, if I had gone to Largo High School, which was across the street, and it was like the less less affluent, uh, less opportunity high school, my life would be radically different than it is right now. And um, the drive really comes from having wanted to to make sure that I lived up to my full potential. It's like I knew I was a smart guy, but being smart doesn't automatically give you opportunities. Opportunities are not equitably distributed in life. So the drive comes from like I wanted to get to a place where I could have access to as much opportunities uh, as possible so that I could live up to my full uh, potential. And that, that carried me through, uh, through high school, college, and, uh, and, and into the workplace where, I mean, I, I was just probably to an unhealthy degree, to be honest, just 
really, really uh, pouring as much of my energy and effort into, into work and, and projects as possible um, because of that. And, and it, it does come from uh, an early age. I just wanted so badly to, uh, to get myself into a, a position uh, to succeed. So I, I think the, the, there's other things that come from that as well. I think uh, later on in my career, I probably didn't take on as much, as, as much risk as I, I should have. Um, if you come from a background where like you're clawing for every opportunity, sometimes it's, it, it, you don't like kind of pop up and see the forest from the trees that like, once you've achieved a certain station in life, it's very unlikely you're going to fall all the way back to where you started. And, uh, I think I stayed maybe at, uh, at, at Microsoft, for example, I was there for 15 years and in retrospect, I probably would have, um, you know, left sooner and taken on more risk if I had felt more more comfortable, like that I didn't need to claw for every single opportunity anymore, that I had achieved uh, a, a place in life where, you know, I had the skills, I had the network, uh, I had the track record that, um, you know, opportunities were always going to be there. But it, it took me a while to get into that mentality. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, right? Because the mentality got you to that spot. And then it's like, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to like ease off too much. But <laughs> That's right? the thing. Yeah. It's always, the thing. I always said, I will never regret like when I'm on my deathbed, like having worked like too hard, like having like tried too many times, uh, you know, within the, within the self-care realm, obviously, and all of that. But like you, you, when I leave for the office, I always like, what, what's one last thing I can do? You know, like what's yeah. one, one thing I can do. Let's talk about leadership a little bit. I want uh, your video on YouTube. Yeah, it's uh, how to step up and lead. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I've always been fascinated by the idea, like, a, you know, we're engineers, right? So I've always been fascinated by the idea that you could, you know, programmatically figure out ways to take uh, people and turn them into leaders. And, um, you know, that, that talk is really kind of my best effort at, all of the different tools and operational techniques that I've deployed uh, over the years to try and systematically give people leadership opportunities, uh, encourage them to take those opportunities, and then give them the, the kind of safety net to, to, to succeed or fail. Um, so um, that, that talk is called Ignite the Fire, and, and the purpose of it really is uh, something that I'm passionate about. Like, can we figure out a way within any organization at any scale to systematize creating new leaders? Um, when I was at Reddit, it, you know, this is really what kind of triggered me thinking about this heavily, because uh, I remember I had a conversation with uh, Steve, the CEO, and he was like, Nick, you know, we're, we're scaling so quickly. And I remember when the company was only like 20 people like you could count on every single one of them to step up with any new challenge that would, would, would emerge, you know, uh, anyone on the floor would step up and try and take it on. But as the company passed like 100 people, 200 people, et cetera, you don't see that as much. What, what you, and you can expect that that to be the case. As a, as a company expands, you have roles and responsibilities, you have different swim lanes that, that people are supposed uh, to own. Uh, it's less and less likely that your CTO is going to be personally handling sales calls, for example. <laughs> so as a company gets bigger, it's, it's necessary that you do kind of carve out swim lanes and, and ownership gets distributed in a different way. But the downside of that is I, I think you do lose this 
feeling that that anyone on the floor could could step up if they wanted to and um, the talk is really about ways to to encourage that so um, trying to trying to make sure that you always present people opportunities to step up, like have a systematic way in which you collect and present those opportunities to people within your organization. Um, two, try and, uh, as you present those opportunities, think of ways to align them uh, with things that people might be passionate about. I think like you see leaders emerge when there's a, a business need combined with something that uh, an individual might be passionate about. You, you start to get into this, what I call blue flame, the intersection of business need with something someone is passionate about. You intersect those two things and great things happen. And then the, the final thing is to make sure that um, they feel safety in taking uh, those risks. Like the number one inhibitor for people uh, stepping into a leadership role, it's fear of failure. And like study after study has shown that. But if you're in a leadership role, you can actually help um, reduce that fear by sponsoring projects or, or making people feel that, hey, look, like an executive is backing me. And that means that like, you know, good or bad, I, I'm gonna get a, get a take a, sh a fair swing at whatever this problem might be. Um, so I, I think it's a, a really relevant talk. And you know, if you haven't, you know, seen it, go check it out. Um, because ultimately, um, a leader's job is to make new leaders, and that shouldn't be like a abstract idea. I, I think it can be really done programmatically and embedded into the fabric of how we run our organizations. No, oh, I, I love it. I'll, I'll back you up a little bit with some something here. So I give this talk like around the world. I've done it like 40 times this year and it's about creating better leaders faster. So it's, I took all the knowledge that I've learned from like 500 interviews of how these people do it. And then I boil it down to, you know, three or four things that are the most common patterns and habits of, of leaders. And I, the opening story is about my conversation with Douglas Terrier, who's the CTO of NASA. And on his very first day at NASA, his leader sat him down and he said, Douglas, I'm not going to judge you based on your past technical accomplishments or any specific project KPIs or metrics. The only thing I'm going to judge you on is how well you grow and mentor your team, how many mm. leaders you produce. Boom. There it is. <laughs> there it is. But that's how they do it at NASA. That's how I they love do it that. At NASA. Yeah. I love that. I, I really do think like, particularly if you're going to be a great manager, I think that has to be your, your number one goal, like developing other people. Yeah. And that's how you create a strong, that's how you compoundingly, that, that's a word. made <laughs> <laughs> up a new word here today. That's how you compoundingly create new leaders. <laughs> I like it, man. I followed what you were saying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what, what is on your mind right now as a leader? Like, What's, what's going on in your world? What are you working on? What are you working on with your team? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the biggest uh, thing that's on my mind right now is uh, we have such a big opportunity ahead of us with uh, the, um, hopefully this Google acquisition will close soon, but what this means is that we can really um, kind of accelerate uh, many of the product ideas uh, that, uh, that we've had in place, we can get to them much, much more quickly. And the, the scope of impact that we can have as a business uh, is much, much greater. So uh, I'm actually planning a, a offsite next week to talk through uh, what's going to change with, with my immediate leadership team. Because I think what's going to change is we're going to have much bigger scale. Like right now, my team is about 150 people. I think over the next year, that's probably going to grow to 200, 250 plus. And we're really getting into a point where um, 
you know, if you if you ever read about Dunbar's number, it's like the way that you communicate changes at different scale points, and I think we're passing through one right now. So I want to make sure that my leaders uh, grow, that they have the ability to communicate vision, that they have the right communication tools, and we all have uh, a strong understanding of where we want to go as a business to carry us uh, through next year, and then corresponding like stepping away from the people stuff we can build some like really kick-ass products i think we we've yeah. we've we've really executed strongly over the over the uh past year and i want to make sure that we carry that momentum uh through uh to next year and um i guess the way that i'm framing that with my team is that this is no longer i mean a, about just you know meeting the expectations of the BI mark, I, uh, market. I, I think that we're put ourselves in a position technologically that, uh, that we can really set the standard for the next couple of years. So uh, for our core BI product, we're thinking about new ways uh, for people to experience data exploration that go beyond like, you know, traditional uh, explore tools that you see from, from other vendors. Um, we're thinking about like massive flexibility. Like one of our, our core selling points has always been multi-cloud and the uh, ability to have flexibility of what database you talk to. We're gonna extend that into multi-suite because we think that uh, data needs to be brought into tools that people want to use day to day. So we're imagining um, bringing data and maybe NLP type experiences into Slack, into Microsoft Teams, into, into Google Hangouts and chat. Um, and I guess the, the final thing is we're, we're looking at uh, verticals uh, and solutions. So you know, I, I mentioned earlier that we think that um, SaaS applications are really where the, the growth of, 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 uh, of data uh, is coming from. Well, because Looker is a platform, like we c it can be used to, to, to just provide end-to-end uh, -end solutions for specific use cases like sales, digital marketing, event analytics, that sort of thing. So we want to lean into providing uh, 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 solutions where someone can come to Looker, uh, maybe get their, their data warehouse, their ETL, their uh, uh, their application automatically deployed within like five minutes of, uh, of discovering us. Uh, kick the tires and then maybe bring that back and, and blow it out to a, a full-on uh, operationally integrated uh, solution within their business. We want to take the time to value down to as low as we possibly can. Um, so that's just the stuff off the top of my head. It's gonna it's <laughs> gonna be a fun uh, a fun a fun year. No, it sounds good. It sounds exciting. So one of the things that happens is, you know, people listen to the show, they identify with some of the leaders, they like their stories, and they end up reaching out. This is a byproduct of the show that we didn't initially mean to happen, but it just kind of, we found out from past guests that it happens. So what's the culture like? Like, What, what type of team? Who, who do you want to attract? Who are you as, as people? Yeah, I mean, Looker is a very unique culture. So I, I think I mentioned before, like, uh, we are uh, located in Santa Cruz. So that, uh, if you if you don't know anything about Santa Cruz, go go Wikipedia that right now. It's a it's essentially a uh, a laid-back beach uh, community. It's a uh, it's a very interesting cu culture that has translated into Looker and then into Looker's uh, remote offices around the world. But the way I would characterize it is. Um, we work really, really hard, but we also have uh, always kept an eye toward um, the work-life balance aspect and also to treating each other very, very well. So what you see in, in our culture um, that I've really experienced on a different level than any other place I've ever worked is um, we take care of the human first 
and then we uh, we work together to solve the hard uh, technical problems. Um, so the levels of support that we give other engineers or other people in product is phenomenal. Uh, if you walk into a Looker office, you'll see in any of our offices around the world, we have this concept called the kitchen table. And uh, you'll see engineers, our product support staff, all sitting around a table together, like collaborating on projects, helping customers, et cetera. Uh, it is the most collaborative uh, environment that, that I've ever worked in. Now, uh, in terms of what we're looking for, uh, you know, I, I hinted at this earlier, on the engineering product and design side, we are uh, scaling like crazy. Uh, I'm sure if I had my um, executive counterparts here, they would tell you the same thing. Um, so there's tons and tons of roles uh, available at, at, at all levels if, you, if you're interested. Just reach out and, and say hello. Um, the, uh, we've got a lot of momentum on the business side that's going to carry over and translate directly into to staffing. Um, so reach out if you're interested. So how would they do that? Should they just look up Nick Cladwell on LinkedIn or looker.com careers or I, I would offer like just reach out to me on LinkedIn, hit me on Twitter at Nick Called uh, are all easy ways to, to get in touch with me. That's how I found you. I was, <laughs> I was trying to remember because it wasn't in the show notes because, you know, I, whenever I see cool people, right, I screenshot <laughs> Thanks, them, I slack them to Chloe and I say, get them on the show. Like, and, but sometimes like cool people just come on the show and like, so I can't always remember, but I, I, when you just said Twitter now, you're one of the few people that I follow on Twitter and I like your stuff. That's how, that's how I, that's how I found you, by the way. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, no, I'm trying to, I'm still like everyone else still trying to up my social media game. So I'm glad that that worked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just really got heavy on Twitter about uh, a year, a year and a half ago. Uh, and I, I think like, you know, if there are any aspiring, like up and coming, uh, 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 either executives or people trying to get further in their career, uh, it took me way too long to realize the, uh, uh, that brand has moved to, to Twitter uh, like in a big way. So having a presence there makes a big difference. Yeah, you don't get like a ridiculous amount of engagement, but the, comp the people that go to conferences are on there because we do our talks and people hashtag or so you, so you get like a lot of speakers, a lot of people who are influential like on there. Absolutely. And you get, honestly, you get a lot of opportunities, uh, you know, uh, to, to come at you that way as well. So, I mean, I, I strongly encourage people to, to spend time on it, like either, you know, uh, blogging or, or being able to get some aspect of your personality and, and the way you think about the world out into the public helps a lot as you kind of get further uh, up into your career. Yeah, we were actually talking about this the other day, about like, how it actually helps like one of the benefits i gave an impromptu talk about uh what tech what leaders are looking for in the next generation of, of hiring and people were asking you know everyone says do a blog everyone says do this everyone says have a brand and and i said well look there's benefits to it and one of the key benefits is the fact that nick if i interview you right and at, for a position and we're talking and i have some questions I, I started to get to know you in that in that short period of time then i have you give me your blog or a book that you've written, mm -hmm. I can actually enter your dialogue and your thought of processing and making decisions through consuming your content, your long form content or short term, but it allows me to get to know you without directly interacting with you. And that is a massive benefit. Oh, for sure. It, it is one of the, it, it's funny you mention that because people still, I get this, I get the same sort of skepticism when I mention this to people as well, because I, I think, um, it's a different mode of thinking about how to, uh, I, I don't want to say market yourself, but get your ideas out there. Like in the olden days, it'd be make a good resume. 
Uh, and then I think in the, in the, maybe in the last generation, it was have a good LinkedIn profile. But um, nowadays, I think certainly if you're operating at the executive level, being able to navigate the world of social media is a requirement. You have to be able to represent your company in the world. And that is where the conversation uh, has largely uh, shifted to social media, podcasts, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is, this is where the, uh, the conversation uh, is happening. Um, so I, I do tell people to spend time on it uh, while also understanding that like an engineer and I've suffered from this as well. Engineers in particular won't realize the, the value of this until later on uh, because maybe earlier in your career, spending more time on Python or whatever the latest JS framework will have more immediate value. But certainly like in your mid and late stage career, uh, it, it will come into play in a big way. And why not start practicing sooner? Right. And in writing is so unique because so when I did the first book, it was very hard, obviously, yeah. <laughs> like, because you don't, I didn't have the writing skill. Like to, how do I get thoughts out of my head and onto paper and developing and working and, and getting through the first book. And then as I, my career increased from the book and from other items, I started having to engage with, you know, boards and investors and higher level mm -hmm. people and basically communicate these complex ideas in very simple ways. And the act of writing it out before I have a conversation or when I want to communicate something, that is a unique skill that you can only get by actually writing. And then it's like, well, if I'm already writing, why don't I just put it on the blog? Yep. Yeah. yeah. No. So it's funny you mentioned that. Like there was an inflection point in my career. I was thinking about this the other day. There was an inflection point in my career. Someone asked me when it really started to take off. And it occurred to me that I, uh, at some point, I don't know why this got in my head. I had decided that like once every two weeks, I was going to do an internal presentation uh, to people around me on whatever interesting technical topic that I had happened to, to pick up uh, over, the, over those two weeks. And taking complex ideas and forcing them into something that is written down easy to understand, uh, you know, at, at a high level, yet engaging enough to get people excited is a incredibly valuable skill. Um, and doing blogs forces you to do that. Doing presentation forces you to do that. Um, I, I think for, um, you know, you should never uh, underappreciate, like, the value of these quote-unquote soft skills, because, like, even if you're an architect or, or, or someone who would you know, be spending a, a significant portion of their, their day coding, communication and the ability to get ideas across succinctly and in, in an impactful way matters so much, uh, you know, the higher level you get in any profession. So, No, I, I don't know if you know, but we, have the, we did the podcast and the podcast ended up creating a leadership company. Do you know about that? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So what happened was we got, when the podcast got popular after like the CTO of Microsoft came on and things like that, people said, Hey, we hear this advice that these leaders are giving. How do we get our, how do I get my 125 managers or tech leaders to take action on, on some of this stuff? And I was like, I don't know, send them a link to the podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> they wanted like specific steps, like here's some advice, here's some steps. And then they wanted to see people do it. So I built a basic MVP in rails. It spent like 10 days building it made these video leadership challenges, deployed them to the people who were asking. And they were like, I love it. And I said, well, that's great. But like, will you pay for it? Right. Cause it's two separate things. And they're like, yeah, we have a leadership budget. I said, okay, I sold a hundred thousand dollars in annual revenue. Yeah. In three months. Right. And then I was like, this is unbelievable. So I went and found a venture capital company up like in the city next to me, that's bigger. 
and raised half a million dollars. Now we have, you know, 15 people and we're, we're just now doing our second round um, to go to like 50 people. So we're really excited. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah. So may, maybe this is a, a post uh, podcast conversation, but I'd love yeah. to hear more about that. Yeah. But what, so what, the reason why I brought that up is because we just started like learning that soft skills, like that word isn't sexy. Like people don't yeah. like it. So what people are starting to call it now that we notice is core skills. Ah, like, interesting. I was like, cause they're not optional. Like these soft skills are soft skills sound optional. Like they'd be nice to have, but they're becoming like in demand. Yeah, you know, and I think that there's a, a, a trend driving that as well. Um, I don't know. Do you guys use Slack or any yeah, any kind of... we use Slack. I was pontificating about this with someone yesterday that, like, the way software development works today, to me anyway, it is fundamentally different. It does feel much more like in order to ship anything nowadays, it is required that you work within a team to get something done. Whereas I think when I was, you know, starting in my career, you very much had this, like, kind of lone hero it was okay to like you know lock yourself in a room with a couple boxes of pizza and you could crank out the code by yourself i just never see that happening nowadays in any of the teams that i've run for the last uh, several years and i think that um tools like slack and tools like um you know github for uh collaborating on prs have have made it so that communication and collaboration are now hand in hand with coding and development i think the tools are changing our our behaviors in terms of how we ship code so i love it though yeah. it's also but, the standard got raised right because everybody's interacting with these companies and their apps they're like multi-million dollar companies and so the user experience you get from just a basic app you expect that in like every piece of technology oh for sure yeah absolutely like it, it, it i think the um from a development and ux perspective the tooling is getting better and just raising the bar over and over and over again and the ability to get into tech is also uh it, it, it's you can start now with uh, JavaScript libraries, or my favorite example is like machine learning libraries. Mm -hmm. um, like when I was getting into tech, you literally had to code, like if you wanted to do machine learning, uh, a neural network, you had to code that from base principles. <laughs> like here's the class for a perceptron and then build everything up from there. And nowadays I'm seeing people with, um, you know, otherwise no skills, just interested in the space. Uh, getting up and running with like TensorFlow projects in the space of like a day or two and doing like unimaginably complicated, like would have been unheard of like even five years ago um, to, to, you know, real time recognition over video with multiple actors and labeling a, a, across like a thousand different potential labels unheard of like even five years ago and now uh with very very little like up upfront uh investment like you're just seeing people get started on that sort of thing so i i love it it's a great time to be uh in technology yeah. and it's always like a 13 year old on youtube <laughs> <laughs> right you're like oh my goodness like how is this possible doing amazing things yeah doing amazing things <laughs> Yeah. So as we start to wrap up, because you're in San Francisco today, I know you're in Santa Cruz. And by the way, the town that we're in right now is called Sarasota, Florida. And we've got like one of the top five beaches in the United States. So we come from, oh, cool. like, we're like a beach town, kind of chill too. Uh, that's why I had to go to to Tampa up, up to the city, like 30 minutes north to get venture capital. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so now you're in San Francisco today. Let's say that you're going to walk outside, right? You're going to get ready do you walk home or you take the train home or I, I take a lift. Yeah. All right. So you go in the lift and guess who your lift driver is. Guess. Okay. Elon Musk. 
Oh, wow. So, yeah, right? It's crazy. So <laughs> he takes his private tunnel down, right? You're, <laughs> your left drive. You're like, where am I going? What's going on? He's like, I, I got to show you this new Starship Hopper we built, this brand new rocket ship. It's going to be great. I want your opinion on it. This is going to be fantastic. You're like, okay. You get to the Starship Hopper and he pulls back this curtain and there's a time machine. Mm-hmm. What? Okay, so you get to go into the time machine and you're going to go back to your previous self right when you were going to high school, not Largo, right? You're not going back to Largo, but to the high school you went to, right? And on your first day of high school, you get to give yourself one piece of advice. What would it be? Oh boy, one piece of advice. Can That's I do it. multiple? It's going to be hard. Like Freestyle. Mean, you can do it. I'll freestyle. Because yeah. um, getting it down to one is tough. I mean, I think I've learned a lot over the couple of years. I, I would say at that exact moment in my life, I believed coding solved everything. So the first thing I would say is like, it turns out like technology is not a solution for everything. It takes teams uh, to build great products. And at the end of the day, people matter more than technology. So that would be the first thing I would tell myself. Um, The second thing is I would say it's okay to be uncomfortable, like get comfortable being uncomfortable. Like it's, it's, it's safe to try new things. If you ever find yourself, uh, you know, in a career at Microsoft, you don't have to stay there for a decade because there's so many opportunities, your, your skill, your network, um, your, your reputation, you carry that with you everywhere you go. And that is actually the source of your opportunities. And um, I guess the final thing would be, um, give back sooner. Like leaders make new leaders, and as soon as you can, uh, spend time uh, mentoring people, bringing them along, and making the pathway easier for the person behind you. So, the, so I know that wasn't one thing, but no, that was beautiful, uh, and it was succinct. I love it. Oh, awesome! Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> you win. You win. Best advice of the month. You gave me Thanks, three, man. and you did it in like ninety seconds, and they were all very clearly articulated. So you win. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I still want to meet Elon too. I hope you have him on the show sometime. Like, yeah. I saw I saw him on a Joe Rogan podcast. It was hilarious. Yeah, I told him he can come on, but he can't smoke any weed. He's gonna get in trouble again. <laughs> you saw the same podcast. Okay. I listened to it like three times. Are you kidding me? I love, I love Elon Musk. That guy is like doing exactly. Yeah, every generation has their person. I mean, he's doing. He's like Ford, but in like three different areas. It's pretty cool. Modern day Tony Stark. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Dude, Nick, this is a lot of fun hanging out. I really enjoy you. This has been great. Awesome, man. Great to meet you as well. Have a lot of fun on this. All right. Have a great day, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah. Bye, guys.